Are we allowed to swear, by the way? You do what you want. <laughs> you do what you want. <laughs> it's not a problem. Fully expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, welcome to my 90s music podcast, the podcast where I talk to the people who lived, loved, and were in the eye of the storm of the best decade ever, the glorious 1990s. Today, I speak to a composer and saxophonist, Steve Hamilton, who is a recording and touring member of Noel Gallagher's High Flying Buds, and in the 90s has also recorded with Radiohead and toured with Blur. Steve has also played with Amy Winehouse, The Auteurs, Beyonce, Bono, The Beloved, Madness, The Pet Shop Boys, The Wild Heart, Snowboy, Roger Daltrey, Stereo Lab, Stevie Wonder, and many, many more. We talk about his 90s and being on the road with Blur, recording with Radiohead, and also a little bit into the future and talking about Noel Gallagher and what it's like to be a Noel's band. Steve famously missed out on playing with Frank Sinatra in the 90s, which he tells us all about. Sorry, Steve, but thanks so much for the chat. Here we go. Today, I've got my wonderful guest who I'm so excited to talk to. And he'll introduce himself, but it's a really big one today. And I think we're going to hear all about some great live times, some great session times, some great records, some great stories and experiences. So hello, Mr. Mystery Guest. How are you? I'm very well, Mark. Thanks for having me on. So I'm Steve Hamilton, session saxophone player to all sorts of bands, 80s, 90s uh, and onwards. Um, Currently woefully unemployed um, due to coronavirus. Mm -hmm. But um, the only comfort is that everyone else that I know is totally woefully un- unemployed too. So it's um, so it's, it's not too too bad a, a bitter a pill to swallow. Well, just just thinking in in terms of the nineties, then which bands did you feature in? I mean, when I, I went to I went to music college in London, and, and I I left in eighty eight, and and I started sort of you know just playing in kind of function bands and party bands and stuff um you know re- really desperate to get on the scene of, of session playing and um playing in horn sections with with you know famous rich people um <laughs> and it and it um the, the first the first tour i did which i think was 90 um was was the temptations um bizarrely enough they, they came over for the, i think it was the last tour they did and we, we did a little tour around um the uk sort of uh, theaters i think it was um that was and that was my kind of first experience of, of sort of being employed in a horn section which i loved um but i mean mo- most notably i suppose blur was a band that i toured a lot with um in the mid to late 90s uh, touring uh, the great escape album and I think a bit, a bit of park life as well. Doing tours in America, a real like you know, bus tour, just just driving everywhere, which was quite uh, quite incredible. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I made a mistake early early on. I think in ninety ninety one, because um, I was so intent on on getting on people's records, and I got I got called up for this um, Tina Turner session. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I played on a couple of her albums, but in fact, I've never met her. But bizarrely, but I was due to go to the south of France to play in a in a, a at the uh, Monte Carlo. I think it's the Sporting Club there for like a twelve week season, play, playing mid midsummer. And I thought this is going to be brilliant. 
and I thought right, I'm going to make it. And the, the star on one of the weeks was Frank Sinatra, so I, I would have played with Frank Sinatra, and I, and I stupidly, stupidly decided that no, I'm going to get on this, get on a Tina Turner album because that will be better for my career, which obviously wasn't. Um, and, and so I turned down turned down the, the opportunity to play with Frank, and then he died. Um, and you know, so I can't say that I played Frank, Frank Sinatra. And I went to the guy to ran to a friend, uh, friend of mine's house, who debt for me that time. And he he went to South France and, and played with Frank. And he's got a big poster and signed by him. Oh, and I and I and I don't speak to that guy anymore. <laughs> <laughs> deep, That's deep, like Deeply jealous and irritated by my, my own stupid decisions. <laughs> and then you hear Tina Turner, you just turn it off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it, it was it was a remake of Nutbush City Limits. Well, it wasn't even anything, you know. But that that yeah, mistakes you make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, 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 we did a lot of lot of touring um, with them, and and it it was it, that that was my first kind of big you know, arena kind of touring um, in in, uh, in Europe, some beautiful theatres and stuff, and then festivals. But yeah, I, I remember five five or six weeks around America on a bus. That was absolutely incredible. Um, so yeah, I suppose that would be 90, 96, I guess. Were you in like a bus with them or? Was yeah, yeah. Or? Uh, that's can be quite claustrophobic especially when you're driving you know driving after the show say on a, from boston to um somewhere in the middle of america you know it's it's uh lots of lots of boozing on buses um yeah just just incredible you know so driving through the arizona desert I, I think we broke down once and i got out and went over to a cactus and touched it and and my and i stuck to it because i didn't realize that that the, the cacti had barbed kind of things, and um, I remember Dame, Damon Albarn, who, who had this big shaggy jumper, that it looked, looked like he'd knitted it himself, and he he used that to prise me off the um, off the cactus. Um, but we we had this great uh, truck um, bus driver called Heavy Duty. That was, that was his name, Heavy Duty, and he, he carried a couple of Kalashnikovs in the in the bus. He was from uh, Tennessee, and he was a proper. He was exactly how you'd imagine him, you know, quite a big burly chap and had guns. And we went to his ranch um, for a barbecue when we had a day off somewhere in Tennessee and um, did shooting on his shooting range. And he cooked us the biggest steaks that um, man has ever seen. Uh, amazing. Having sort of 10 days in Amer in um, L.A. as well was fantastic. It's the first time I'd been there. What did you make of the L.A. scene? I really fell in love with it. We, played, we stayed at... La Park Suites, um, sort of West Hollywood, and it was just, it was brilliant to kind of just be settled there. And we had really cool, it, quite it's quite seventies kind of um, hotel, a bit kitsch, um, but just just loved it, loved the whole thing and the, the rooftop um, pool and yeah, we just just order wine up and just sit there all day and then then you know go off to say santa barbara and do a gig there and come back and um so we based based there i think it was for about 10 days i loved i loved the whole thing and i, I just just loved that experience of, of being out there and um and and doing gigs it and the the the, the you know the open air festivals and the hollywood bowl and places like that pretty sort of being with blur though i mean were you were you not nervous to meet them and like all that stuff? Like, 
that, that must be a bit weird. Uh, no, not particularly. Um, I mean, the first the first gig I ever did, I, I remember, it was in Stockholm, and the 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 guy who was who was the regular sax player. Um, I think he got the job with Jamiroquai, and he fancied doing that more. Um, I won't mention his name just in case it's not <laughs> the case. Um, but um, and he couldn't couldn't do a series of gigs in Europe, so I just uh, um, I got called and flew out to Stockholm, no rehearsals or anything, and just did did the gig. And I thought this is quite fun. Um, but they care. I mean, certain people can be intimidating, but you know, I'm not necessarily scared of. Uh, pop stars um uh, there are a few i am <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you, you you always have a sort of positive nerves uh, i think in, in answer to your question you, you know you get get up there and think actually this is quite an event and you know you, you rise to it and hopefully don't muck too much up and um don't do too much ugly dancing <laughs> <laughs> yeah i suppose that goes with the territory being in the the brass section that you've got to do a bit of swaying or a bit of... Well, I, I mean, so I play in, in Madness, which is definitely a bit... Um, swaying is more, more the word than, than um, dancing, definitely. Uh, but we, we kind of... Uh, and we have, we have clip-on mics so that we can move, move our instruments around. Um, but um, in, in Noel, Noel's band, we, we, we're fi- on fixed mics so, that we, so we can't move. Um, he doesn't like moving anyway. No, well, he, he doesn't. And, and uh, you know, it's quite a, st- a static show. Um, but it's really weird because I, I'm so used to having a clip on and, you know, sort of swaying around. I move quite a lot when I play, even, you know, even if I practice. Um, it, so it's, it does feel almost like you've been super glued to the floor. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but it does, save, it does save, as I say, the very ugly dancing. <laughs> <laughs> and then what, what about a game day then? So... You've got a gig, and then maybe you've had a gig before or a day off, and there's a lot of waiting around. I mean, you you basically work back shift stroke night shift, don't you? Like- yeah, I, I mean, on on a you know certainly on a festival tour, there's there's obviously no sound check because you you, you can't sound check in front of an audience. Um, so you, the typical kind of day would be uh, wake up at midday, get, have some a Nurofen. Uh, <laughs> Maybe go to the gym, and then you know there'll be a, there'll be a call to get uh, you know a bus call at four four five o'clock get get you to the venue, um, go straight to catering, uh, and then you, you know hang around. That you, you've obviously hit the nail on the head. That's that's what we do. We hang around and then play for ninety minutes, if that. And it's a really weird thing where where you just go to work and your dressing rooms full of beer and wine and Pringles. <laughs> and uh and you just yeah you do absolutely nothing and then you have to go and play in front of thousands of people um and then you come off stage and it's that's all over and then you you know you just like for this high yeah yeah i mean if it's been a good gig and it's, it's it, and it's a great city i mean you know like like in america the the when you're in new york and well the, the coasts basically um people really look forward to those and they've always got guests there but you, you end up in the middle of you know um, I don't know Memphis or some somewhere. Although it's a great city, nobody's got any guests, and no, nobody's really that buzzed about it. Um, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like Europe, Paris is a great. It's always a great gig. Amsterdam. There's a lot of gigs in Germany that aren't so much fun. 
so it really it really depends how much of a buzz. I think it's very determined determined by the city that you're in. You know, obviously, if you've got if you've got your 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 friends coming or your family coming, then you you it is a different experience playing because you 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 kind of put something a little bit more into it. You know, not not necessarily show off, but you. you you know, you just you're just aware that people are watching you rather than watching watching the entire you know the, the entire gig. And then, what about uh, some other bands that you were in? Then, so I, Madness, I didn't know actually um, that you were in. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't I didn't kind of get involved with them until about I think um, 2012. So, yeah, obviously they were around in the 90s as well, um, but. Um, you know, I, I bumped into a, a few of them, come across them, them but uh, th- I mean, that's that's a great fun gig. Uh, yeah. it's, it's 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 like being, you know, it's like another family. Um, br- brilliant guys, hilarious, and and it's, things always go wrong, and there's always chaos. You know, a, a, mad, a madness gig isn't a, isn't a madness gig until until something ridiculous happens, and you know, the the, the bus driver gets lost, and you know, just uh, there's always something absurd happens. <laughs> um but that, that, that's that's fantastic fun um but but you know it's towards the, the end of the 90s that the um the, what, one of the things i'm most proud of and enjoyed so much was getting a call to play on um on radiohead's kid a wow which was which was um a great experience and my, my son frank who's now or be, now twenty, I think it was the first time I'd left the house since he'd he'd um, he'd been born, and um, I remember feeling a bit weird about that. And but going to this this stu- the residential studio in Oxfordshire, which w- was their their kind of converted barn that they, they they were kind of all living in and recording, and we just yeah spent a spent a day just playing one track really, which is a national anthem um, from that album. Just a brilliant experience of, of you know, be, we was we were sent back in the days of faxes, um, the the parts for the you know, John Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead had um, figured out, uh, and we we sort of worked through that and then kind of almost threw that away and just improvised and made made a lot of noises and I think the intention was to make the track sound like a traffic jam, loads of horn loads of horns kind of. Um, and it sort of does sound a bit like that, but um, that was you and who then? Like, what was the section, or was it just sax, or was there more? Brass? There, there were there, there were eight of us actually. Bizarrely, I mean, it was very brave of them to book eight um, horn players. Yeah. Uh, so we 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 did that, um, and then then we were asked to to, to they, they they were really funny because they they were kind of over gracious and and thankful for for us playing on their on their record you know and um they they said would you mind coming over to new york to do saturday night saturday night live um wow. and we thought, thought God, yeah this this sounds amazing so we we went there um uh for about 10 days as well do the did a day's rehearsal um and yeah just did, did that show it's fantastic and we oh we did the um one of the best gigs ever, best atmospheres that I've ever been at, was the um, Roseland Ballroom. Oh, yeah. Amazing place. And we, and we played there, and, and uh, Kid A had just reached number one in the Billboard charts. So, and it, the atmosphere was absolutely incredible. Um, 
and we only played on one tune. So, and that was definitely a case of just watching the whole gig from, from the side of the stage. Um, incredible, just an amazing atmosphere, the, the whole thing. And I loved the band before I started working with them as well. So, and were you working with Nigel Godrich on that? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. He, he, um, sort of co produced it. Um, yeah, amazing, amazing guy, quite, 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 dude. Um, but, but then I bumped into, I was at, uh, Abbey Road doing a session with um, the Stereophonics many years later, well, several years later. And Nigel and Tom York and a couple of the other guys were, were in the um, penthouse upstairs and they're having a break and they're in the cafe and I, I bumped into them and they said, oh, how, how are you? And, you know, all this, this sort of stuff. And they said, yeah, we're doing our, uh, we're mixing our um, new album. Uh, I said, are, are there any horns on 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 it you know and he said no no you you guys were a nightmare <laughs> yeah because ha- having having spent um you know weeks and weeks you know months with them and them saying oh this is so good so thank you so much for, for playing with us and stuff and we think well you know this is a great gig what do, what do you mean <laughs> thank you uh, and then the guy and then tom's kind of winked at me and said, no, only joking, mate, only joking. You were, you were, you were good. But oh. the, the, the deadpan delivery. No, you lot were, were a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Your stomach sank. Yeah. <laughs> and, and any other bands run about that time? I remember playing, not, not, it, I suppose it is a bit of a nightmare, but Swing Out Sister, do you remember them? I do, yeah. 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 Uh, I, I remember being, being on a tour bus with Blur, actually, and being sent bit before iPads and any good technology for reading music on, on stage existed and being sent all the, all the swing out sister parts, um, in big sort of manuscript and having to learn it all by, by memory while, whilst doing another tour. Um, because the, 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 the vibe was there that you had to learn everything. And it blur was such an easy gig to do because there's, there's so, so little to do and, and, you know, quite basic horn lines and, you know, long notes and sustain, you know, sustaining choruses and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then suddenly I was throat, being thrown into a world where, where I actually had to really, really practice. And it was quite scary. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the 90s for me was, was sort of cutting my teeth a bit and, you know, finding out toe in the water type stuff for, um, for touring. You know, th- things got more accelerated as, um, as time went on. I mean, obviously, the eighties was a, was a time when um, the saxophone was was uh, very much the, the you know like Duran Duran sax solos and stuff. Um, but that I, I I came to it a bit late, um, so I didn't really do the eighties thing. But um, yeah, I, just, I oh I the one one audition that I went for, um, and this sounds conceited, but it isn't. It's just that I haven't been for many auditions. But it's the it's the only audition that I've did that um i didn't get which was prince was coming over oh. and i i heard through, through the grapevine that um he was looking to extend his three-piece horn section to a five-piece and, and he was looking for a tenor sax player which is you know what i play um and, a, and another trumpet player and so i went to this audition thinking god i'm i'm gonna play with prince who you know this <laughs> I just couldn't believe, I couldn't believe, and I put this horrible cheap black suit on to go do this thing. But, but what I didn't know is that every other saxophone player and trumpet player in London had also been given a call. Uh, so that, 
there's about 300 of us all turning up to them i think at the mermaid theater or something um but what i did do is p- played played in the in the horn section with with these americans uh who were just phenomenal and again that that was really really hard stuff you know prince funky stuff um but no, none of us, none of us got the gig. They just went out in the end um, and did the European tour with the with the, the existing three piece horn section. But yeah, that that was a actually it wasn't wasn't a near miss. I'd never got the gig. Uh, <laughs> but I, yeah, I like I like to think that I might have done. But um, you know, and that's... what about acid jazz stuff and all that? Did you ever get Jamiroquai or James Taylor Quartet or any of that stuff? I I didn't really. I, I'm not that that much of a jazz player although although that's something that i've kind of got into since then um i used to go and see all those guys a lot um and, and you know quite quite fancy playing with jamiroquai because the, the horn the horn parts were really good mm. but no i never i never really got involved in that i, I what was the band cordroy we've talked about that before did a few few gigs with them and then you went from Rangers to Celtic or Man to Man City or whatever, and started working with all. Yeah, I, I, well, I think maybe two or three years ago we got the call to to put a horn section together. Noel was asked to support the U two on their Joshua Tree tour, the thirtieth anniversary of that. And I mean, this was a classic. This was the best gig ever because um, not only was it you know, a 300 crew um, event um, playing in, in Olympic stadiums. It was phenomenal. The screen, the screen was the biggest screen put up and uh, and Noel had a 50, I think f- maybe 48 minute or 50 minute set to do um, before the sun went down. And so, yeah, we, we were asked if we'd like to do that. And we thought, yeah, yeah, yeah that sounds great. But it, only, only doing about two gigs a week. So, you, you know, you get go to Rome for seven days, do one gig and then, or two, two gigs. I, I think we counted because, you know, Noel's, Noel's only doing, um, say, 50 minutes. We we were only doing four tunes. And in those tunes, there's about 10 notes. <laughs> we, we, we worked out for the whole month. We'd, we'd only played 188 notes. <laughs> but but that, that was a great experience. And, and since then... Um, we went, yeah. We did a month in uh, Europe, a uh, month in South America, um, Japan a few times doing festivals. Um, and yes, we we just got the call from from his uh, management saying that they'd like us to come in next week to record some new apps, new horn stuff. I'm not sure if it's an EP or, or a new album, but so yeah, that that's something to look forward to. Get get back in the studio and. Um, actually play with people you know yeah and how have you found working with him it's 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 a very disciplined band the band is great the really really superb musicians um there's gems in the band as well right that's right yeah gem is lovely are you well, i used to go and see heavy stereo play all right yeah. when he was yeah. in that band um i saw them so many times in glasgow i thought they were a great wee band they were almost like 70s glam rock yeah he, I, we we stand behind Gem on stage, and he's the most effortless, sort of graceful player. He looks like he's, you know, some, some musicians look really tense when they play, um, but he he's just got a, an air of kind of he kind of wafts around and just plays really beautifully. Um, yeah, great guy. 
how do I find Noel? I mean, yeah, I, I, he's quite intimidating as a guy. Mm. Um, he loves to, he loves the sound check. Um, <laughs> and no, nobody really likes sound check, but he he really really does. He loves it. Uh, and the, there'll be a set list for the sound check of about ten tunes. Oh wow! Uh, I I always call them poorly attended matinees. Uh, <laughs> but he's great and he's he knows exactly what he wants and you know he's he's a total pro uh, amazing songwriter of course and you know if 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 you screw up or don't come in for, for a new bit he he'll growl at you um, but you know he does his own thing you know he he he's he travels separately to us he has his own bus um and the, and the rest of the band are on on, on another one so so you know, day to day, we don't cross paths that much, to be honest. Um, yeah. But yeah, total respect for the guy. Um, he's very funny. You know, don't really support, don't, don't really like his football team, but you know. <laughs> what are you? Are you Manu? Well, he, he he asked me that once. He said, well, "Who do you support then?" Because he he knows I'm not really that mad, mad about football. And I started to say Pompey, which is where I'm from. Yeah. And he said, "Don't don't worry, I don't, I don't care as long as it's not Manu." I don't care. <laughs> I thought it was quite funny. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then um, just thinking about, uh, you know, a couple of other things in terms of the magic and iconic moments, you know, is there any sort of big things that happened during the 90s that really stick in your mind, like a night that went crazy or something? You know, I remember reading Alex James's book, you know, a, a while ago, and I think, he learned that you know he shouldn't drink all the time. I think he tried to have five days on, two days off because he woke up in an alley behind the Groucho and there was a guy attached to his groin <laughs> as he woke up. So, you know, <laughs> what, what was the what was the mad things that went on? You know, that you. Uh, I mean, yeah, I I, I remember. So I mentioned earlier that we were in Le Park for, for about ten days in America, and, and I mem- I remember Alex just coming up <laughs> up. Um, to the pool and I think he had a dressing gown on a, a bottle of champagne in one hand and a fag in the in, in his mouth and he just fell into the pool <laughs> and, and obviously the champagne was full of swimming pool water and he's just carried on drinking <laughs> I, remember, I remember thinking yeah this is rock and roll this is but yeah he really tore, tore the arse out of it for sure I mean there were kind of funny moments when I, I remember I think it was Pittsburgh in America and uh there, there were a bunch of quite pretty girls <laughs> waiting by the stage door, and I and I um, and I was single at the time, by the way. Caveat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and I and I was talking to one of them, and um, and I said, "What? What, what do you? What do you come back to, to the after show? You know, it's gonna there's, there's a do at the hotel." And, and I said, "Yeah, okay." okay. She said, "Can I bring my friends?" I said, "Who are your friends?" And, and they were they were they just they were ballerinas who had just done um, a show. And for, for that, for, and they all they all got on our tour bus. And for that moment, uh, for a very brief moment, I was the most popular um, <laughs> member of the band because because they, they, they how did you manage that? I said I, I really don't know, but you know. Just, so so <laughs> and we went. We had a sort of party and stuff. Yeah, it was good. It was good fun. Nothing um, salacious. <laughs> but uh, I think what, one of the one of the moments that, that still gives me goosebumps actually is we we did. In ninety, I think ninety seven, we're in uh, New York. And we played at the Tibetan Tibetan Freedom Festival um, in, I think it's Randall Island, 
and uh, the the lineup was immense. And we did our set. I remember giving a clarinet lesson to might have been Alex actually or or Dave. For some reason, he was he was trying to learn the clarinet. So we did that. And we all we all had a few beers, and then uh, Alanis Morissette. We, we did our gig, and Alanis Morissette um, played, and. I, I just sort of sat on stage and watched her and it was fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Literally about five feet away from her. Um, and then minutes later, Bjork did, did the same thing. And, I, and I, that was absolutely phenomenal watching, you know, and it, the, the sun was going down and it was, it was New York and it was summer. And for some reason I bought a tie dye t-shirt. I don't know why I did that, but. <laughs> They're coming back now. All the kids are wearing them. Are they? Yeah. Oh, I did get out then. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alanis Morissette, I w- I'd be so keen to see her. Actually, you know that I've been with my wife since school, and I, I remember at Valentine's Day or whatever, I, I, I bought her jagged little pill. I worked on her price, and um, that's just always had a wee special place, you know, cheesy or not. You know, it's a, yeah, a, a really good album. And the other thing I was going to say about Alex James as well, I watched the Blur set at the weekend, Glastonbury. He's some bass player, and again, talking about the effortlessness of Gary. Yeah, yeah, he's he's he's, he's like a slinky, isn't he? Just, he's, he's slink, he just slinks, and it's yeah, like... he, he, he is a slink. He's a slinky. I'm, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, he he does. You're you're absolutely right. He's, he's he's a great musician, and yeah, just that 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 kind of fag hang out the out the mouth. Yeah, um, he takes he a lot of practice because the the smoke really gets in your eyes, and it's. Quite intense, so it's quite, uh, you know, <laughs> it's quite a skill to keep that going, you know. Yeah, I, I've, certainly, I've never seen him stressed about anything. That man, um, <laughs> I, I've actually I played at his 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 farm actually uh, about five five six years ago with Madness, oh. and I hadn't seen I hadn't really seen him since. And um, but yeah, he's a he's a uh, toned it down now. But um, yeah, he he was the party boy. Definitely, I'm, I can't say any more. <laughs> okay, right, well, I'll ask a few quick fire questions then. And yeah. I'll, I'll let you go and, and get practicing or whatever you're up to next. Um, yeah. So, band of the 90s, who is your ultimate band of the 90s then? I think it's got to be Radiohead. Not not just because of my any sort of scant association with it, but uh, I just love them. And it, and they, they sort of took music to, to a very filmic kind of just an amazing atmosphere um and incredible musicians um so radiohead i think yeah yeah i was listening to pablo honey the other day and i saw them in that tour supporting james and they actually got booed off the stage um in glasgow barlands because tom york was being a bit of a star wars baddie or whatever he was being but um <laughs> but what happened was uh I, I was listening to pablo honey the other day and you can see the progression you know you can yeah. see how it you know, it's not like Pablo Honey was a stinker and, you know, you can see it just get up in increments. And, yeah, I, I think it's it's got to a kind of natural but mind-blowing place now with Moonshaped Pool and, and all that, you know. Um, yeah, exactly. That, that, and, and, you know, that, that that's to, to be admired in any band that, that you just got no idea what's ca- what's happening next. No. Um, it, it, it's, it, it's it's phenomenal. Um, and there's, there's, you know, they're still going at it. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Amazing band, and then best gig if it wasn't the New York one. Um, best gig you saw in the nineties. I mean, that was the best gig. Uh, the, the 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 atmosphere at the Tibetan Freedom Festival and 
the the set the sound qualities that it was just astonishing but but obviously i wasn't front of front of um in front of the stage i was actually on on the stage and it it just for, for me that was a magical afternoon and evening i, I can't think of anything better than than, than that to, to be honest and best live venue best live venue uh i think the paradiso in amsterdam i don't know if you've been there it's oh. most beautiful beautiful building um that there's the olympia in Paris is always great as well. Huge, huge venue. It looks tiny from the outside, but it kind of vast, cavernous place. But Par- Par- Paradiso, I think, in in Amsterdam, I think it's still, I think it still exists. Mm-hmm. But, but that's a, it's a gorgeous building, and yeah. What about the UK? What's the best live venue in the UK? Where do you enjoy playing? Um, well, uh, definitely not things like the O2, obviously. <laughs> I, I th- oh, I think I think Brixton Academy is a great place. Yeah. Uh, I I, lo- I love the sort of um, the sort of camber. What's it called? Um, Rake is yeah, the sort of slope kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I love the I love the atmosphere. I love the fact that all the doors in the toilets are smashed to pieces, and um, <laughs> it just it is it's it looks like it's being bombed, but um, you know, and just not the people just think, oh, this oh, I quite like it like this, you know, just falling falling apart. I think the Bristol Academy definitely. And then so there was a couple of sort of sprung to mind, which was. What was the best track you've played on, and then what was the 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 best gig that you know you've done? You know you've you've been involved with. It was a night where it was like playing with Noel or playing with whoever. The the I mean it wasn't in the it wasn't in the nineties. Can I can I? That's okay. We can stretch. Yep. Um, it was it was we we were asked as a as a I'm part of a band called the SAS Band, which is run by uh, Spike Edney, who's the keyboard player with uh, an MD with Queen. Um, and he's he's been running this band. It stands for Spikes All Stars. Uh, and we were asked by the Nelson Mandela um, charity, Four Twelve Six Four, to play a series of gigs: um, one in Cape Town, one in Johannesburg, one in New York, and one in Hyde Park. And we did this gig in um, in New York for his. I think it's his ninetieth, ninety first birthday. Um, uh, and we we got we got there and. For about ten days, I think we were rehearsing, and then played at the Radio City Music Hall. Wow! Which, which is, if you ask me, the question of the best venue in America, that's definitely it. It's beautiful. Um, and um, we, we, we were the back, the house band for Stevie Wonder, Aretha Franklin, uh, Queen Latifah, all so many, so many people. And at the end, we, we, we'd all finished, and we we're on stage with Stevie Wonder and. And I, I feel this sort of presence behind me, this, this big bear of a guy, and just sort of hugging me, holding me, and hugging me, saying, "Great, great gig!" You know, we're all on stage at the front, taking a bow. And I look round, and and Morgan Freeman is cuddling me. Oh my god! <laughs> and and all I think is, who who the bloody hell has got a camera? Somebody, please, please tell me, because because he was do, he was doing some of the um, announcing for the evening. And and I thought this cannot get any better. I'm, uh, you know, Aretha Franklin, Steve Wonder on stage, and now I'm being hugged by Morgan Freeman. <laughs> and then and, the, and then and, and you'll think I'm making this up, but then he said, "Come and meet my friends." And <laughs> so Tim Robbins, who who's also doing um some of the sort of introducing, I was then stood sit, stop, talking to um Morgan Freeman, Tim Robbins, and. I just thought this is heaven. If somebody shoots me, if a sniper bullet gets me now, I, I don't, 
couldn't give a shit, you know. Come and, come and meet my friend Andy. I know all It's amazing, yeah. It's amazing. It's I remember when the Shawshank Redemption, um, one, of the, one of the girls I used to go to school with, she was doing her exams and, you know, it was one of those things that, like Sixth Sense, when it was in the cinema, um, yeah. you know, the ending was everything, right? Yeah, and yeah. No one knew and, you know, so someone, instead of graffitiing the exam desk, wrote word for word the ending <laughs> of Shawshank Redemption. And you know what I mean? You start reading anything, don't you, about the paper? Said she, she came out, she was raging. <laughs> Spoiler alert. I know. Like, what an amazing thing. To, I mean, obviously, now you could just put it on Twitter and that would be that. But, yeah. That's just, great. That's a great little story, guys. <laughs> trolling, trolling people one by one by one, you know, by exam. <laughs> genius. Oh, really. that, is, that, that is a stroke of genius, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm going to think of something like that. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so last few questions in quick fire. So drink yeah. of the 90s. Um, oh, it's, it's, it's always red wine with me. I, 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 yeah, just... Getting getting a serious red wine habit. <laughs> Malbecs. And then, was there a favourite clothing item of the nineties? We we used to wear check in, with blur because I remember saying to to, the, to to a friend of mine who phoned me up, guy Richard said, "Well, yeah, what what do I wear for this this these upcoming gigs?" He said, "I'll just wear a check shirt." And and I went, you know, went to, I don't know where I went to, to buy a load of check shirts, but but I certainly did buy a load of them. And then I got there and, and everyone, nobody was wearing check shirt. <laughs> everyone was wearing sort of Fred Perry's and stuff. And I, and I just had nothing else to wear, you know. So <laughs> I remember people saying, why have you got another check shirt on? What's it? So yeah, it, it's, it's the uh, quite, quite ugly check shirts. Just, but they had the better be. And then yeah. last couple in. So song of the nineties, what's the song that sums up the nineties for you? Um, I think girls and boys blur. I think, I think, mm. I, I, yeah, I think so. It's just such a bouncy, joyous thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and, and it's the sort of, I, I was talking to somebody recently about it. It's one of those things, as soon as you hear it, you feel good. And, um, you know, it's not the best song in the world, but it, it's, there's, there's something about it that's so 90s, it's, it's out of control. <laughs> well, it's a loaded magazine packed into a song. Yeah, yeah it, it, that's 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 a very good way of putting. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then the last thing is album of the nineties. What was the album? Do you think that really summed up the nineties? I mean, definitely, maybe it's, it's probably it, that, that's probably got to be it, hasn't it? Um, well, uh, Park Park Life was such a great album. I mean, I'm very fond of um, very fond of those 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 blur, you know, those, um, Great Escape and Park Life. Because, because you know, I played them quite a lot. Um, played, you know, played, played them live. Uh, but I mean, definitely, maybe, pretty much sums it up. I think for me. Well, listen, Stevie, I'll let you go. Thanks so much for talking to me today. It's been amazing. Thanks, um, much. Thank you, thank you for letting me talk. Um, it's not a about my rubbish and stuff, and <laughs> hope I wasn't too incoherent. No, absolutely perfect, absolutely perfect, and then. We will at some point, as everyone's threatening, get a beer when, when everything's uh, a little bit better. 
And yeah, uh, that, that that would be wonderful. Yeah, let's let's definitely do that. And I'll try and get along to see you at a gig venue soon as well, and and come and. Yeah, well, I, fingers crossed. The music industry will get a kickstart, and um, yeah, but I I think it's not going to be in this year. But we'll be back anyway. Yeah, somebody this one said. Yeah. <laughs> All right, take it easy, and I'll catch up. Mark, love you. To catch you. Superb to chat to Stevie Hamilton on today's episode. He's a geniusly talented individual and a very generous and humble man about what he's achieved in his life. Excited to hear what he does next, especially with future recordings with Noel and the High Flying Birds. That should be very soon as well, by all accounts, so stay tuned for that. Huge thanks to KTM for connecting us as well. You're a real superstar and I really, really appreciate it. Do go to Steve's website, which is stevehamiltonmusic.com to find out even more about Steve and also connect with him for maybe some projects that you might like to partner with him on. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope that it filled you with as much joy, nostalgia and happiness that it did for me. Please do share this podcast with your 90s obsessed friends and follow me on at my 90s music podcast on Facebook and Twitter and at my 90s music pod on Instagram. Lastly, please do go to Mixcloud to hear my 90s based radio show. Just search for Supersonic 90s radio show. That's Supersonic 90s radio show and you should be able to catch it there. Until next time, I've been Mark McSee. This has been my 90s music podcast. Keep it 90s over and out.